This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by my dad, Warren Tanner. It is entitled Kingdom Living. And you can find all of our archived Shabbat messages on our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. You'll also find my dad's weekly blog post there. Uh, you can subscribe to those in the little email subscribe box if you put your email in. And at the bottom of our homepage, you can find links to our social media accounts and where we post things like the blog posts each week, week uh, the tour portions and other stuff. And you can feel free to subscribe to all of our Shabbat messages on your favorite podcast platform provider, Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever else. And if you are anywhere within... Uh, the seacoast area of New Hampshire, you can come visit us on Shabbat here in Newfields where we gather and learn the word of God. Our theme music is by my buddy Evan Shaw. He is on Instagram at Evan Shaw Music and his website evanshawmusic.com. Hope you have a good week. Enjoy. Hey. Mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does lie only away. For soon is the day when we see your face on the mount of your grace and All right, so good morning. Let's turn to Colossians. Chapter 1, we will be reading verses 1 through 20. So Colossians is where I have been for weeks now in my reading. Just finished, I think, my third time working through and probably going to go through one more time. This is one of like three sermons I kind of sketched up along the way and I thought I'd do this one since it's at the beginning of the book. I've entitled this Kingdom Living in the Here and Now. Kingdom Living in the Here and Now. And so I think that's kind of what... The, the, the book seems to be bookended with it starts at the beginning making reference to the kingdom of God then it, it ends in chapter 4 making reference to the kingdom of God. And so it seems like it, it sort of bookends it. And we're going we're gonna to look at this idea of kingdom living and uh, how to live out our life now. We are a part of the kingdom, but the kingdom that we're wanting to be a part of is still coming when Yeshua is going to rule and reign for a thousand years. But we're already in his kingdom now. We're just living where we don't want to live now, and he's not in totality ruling and in control of everything, although he is as God. But you understand what I'm saying? As far as kingdom living, it's different now since we're primarily out in the exile. We have been, those of us that are saved, saved. We are part of his kingdom. So we are living as citizens of his kingdom, but we're living it here. And we have to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven on earth and we should be living it here the same as we would if we were in the kingdom when Yeshua is ruling and reigning. 
but we know the reality is not so. But our goal is to live like citizens of the kingdom of God now and to be good representatives of this kingdom and the one who is our ruler, Yeshua. And so Paul talks about that amongst other things, but as I say, it bookends the beginning and the end with this idea of the kingdom of God. And then I want to take just these few verses in, in chapter one and talk about kingdom living now. What does that mean? So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I ask that you'll speak to us. Thank you for the time that we can meet on this Shabbat and in a, in a very real way, kind of hit the reset button. It kind of once again brings us back to where our hearts are, rest, resting in Yeshua, looking forward to our future rest with Him. And this is part of our kingdom living now to try to live out Shabbat and the festivals. Though we're not in the kingdom, but we are citizens of the kingdom here. So Paul realizes that, I think, Father, on their inspiration, obviously, that these people, the Colossians, as we need some encouragement along the way, and I ask that this will be encouraging in Yeshua's name. Amen. All right, so I, I, uh, I'll give you my outline, and then we'll read it, and then we'll try to work through it. Um, verses 1 through 20, in relation to kingdom, it, 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 I have four things which make up that are the evidentiary elements of kingdom life. So we're going to look at the things which make up that are the evidentiary elements of the kingdom of life. In other words, what is the evidence of the fact that somebody is living as a citizen of the kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're, we're stuck in that vortex and even Yeshua in what we call Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we constantly have this draw towards the kingdom of heaven, which is ultimately going to come, but we have to live it out now. Thy will be done here too. So the first point in this uh, outline is faith. So these are the, the things necessary. It's faith, family, fruit, fight, because I have to alliterate. That's just how my mind works. So faith is verses one through five. Family is just several verses that we'll look at. Fruit is verses six through 12, the first part. And then the fight is the second part of verse 12 through 19 or into 20. And so faith, verses one through five, family, fruit, six through 12a, the fight, 12b through 19 or, or 20, wherever you want to end it. So these are the elements that make up this kingdom existence. It starts with faith. We're introduced into a new family. This faith that has been instilled in us amongst this family bears fruit. And it is in this process of coming into the faith, becoming a part of the family, bearing fruit, there's a fight that we are engaged in. That's kingdom life now. So it starts with saving faith. You're plugged into a new family. Um, your life starts to bear fruit. You become more and more like Yeshua and start to bear the fruit of the Spirit. But there's also a struggle. There's a fight involved. And that's all in this. And that's kingdom living. So let's read, starting at verse 1, and we'll go through verse 20. 
Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness giving thanks unto the father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven." So faith, family, fruit, fight. We have kingdom, the kingdom mentioned first in verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And then it's mentioned in chapter four and verse 11, where it says, and Jesus, which is called justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which hath been a comfort unto me. So that's the aspect of, of the kingdom. He starts with the kingdom, he ends with the kingdom. And right off the bat, for me, it's, it's, he gives uh, the elements, what, what I've called the evidentiary elements of kingdom life. Faith, family, fruit, fight. All right, now faith. We're talking about saving faith, not faith that you exercise necessarily, although that is involved once you're saved, but, but to enter into this kingdom, to enter into this new kingdom life, 
You have to enter by faith, saving faith. You're not born into it. You can't work into it. You have to, uh, by faith, respond to the working of the Holy Spirit in your hearts and lives. When God works in your heart and brings you to that point in time in which you make a decision where you realize it's either heaven or hell, you, you embrace Christ, you embrace Yeshua, and you're saved by grace through faith. Now, he alludes to this aspect of faith in, in four different ways. And I've, I've put it under this first point. You have the, the basis of faith is Christ. The evidence of faith is wrapped up in this word saints, and the assurance of faith is hope. So this saving faith isn't something that's just kind of like nebulous. It isn't something that's just intellectual. It, it has some, I guess you could say, clothes that are attached to it. Christ is the basis. The evidence is manifested in this word saint, and the assurance is hope. So, so the basis is Christ in verse 4 where it says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. So what got Paul's attention and Timothy's attention was they had heard somehow a report. Well, not somehow. I'm not going to get into all the details, but it's in the book. Uh, you know, he gets this report of how well they're doing. And, and, and the report he gets seems to really indicate that, that they have this faith. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And that's the basis of their faith is Christ. There's the heresy that's probably beginning to evolve uh, in, in Colossae, Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is, a, uh, it's, I don't want to even get into it, I've talked about it before, but Gnosticism is another system that basically is built upon knowledge, gnosis, to where you can know things, to, to uh, um, be connected to the uh, spiritual world. And he talks about angels and worship of angels and so forth in Colossians. Um, here we're told that uh, the, Paul heard about the faith that they had, and, and the fact that he's hearing about it gives evidence that it's something that has changed them, that is real to them. And so then the evidence of what he has heard is how he addresses them through this word saints. And, and I think that's interesting. It's, it, it's what we've become in, in Yeshua. We, we've become set apart unto him. That's the word saint. Sometimes we, we think of it as holy, but it's simply the word that means to be set apart because of who and what we are in Yeshua. And so the fact that we're saved impacts our conduct. It impacts our thinking. It impacts our associations. It impacts everything. And it's all wrapped up in this word saint. Now, it's mentioned a few different times in this chapter. And he, he's it's like right out of the block with this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. And then verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. And then verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of saints in light. This is, this is staggering, especially for, you know, people like the Colossians that are coming out of, he, 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 you know, they, they came out of the kingdom of darkness and have been transplanted into this other kingdom. This, this, this concept of, of, of faith 
that is outside of knowledge, outside of reason, it's supernaturally done in the heart, and we'll, we'll look at this a little bit, and, and, and the fact that with it comes this incredible change in which you realize that for the first time you were in darkness, you get saved by grace through faith, and all of a sudden you're transported into this realm of light that you didn't know existed. It's that dramatic and it's that drastic. You know, those of you that have unsafe family members, you, you know when you talk to them, they're living in a world of darkness that is so foreign to the world in which we live that, is, that, that focuses on light, not darkness, but light. And we've been placed into this light and we are enlightened because of Yeshua. So the basis is Christ, the evidence is this saint, what we've become in Yeshua, and the assurance is, is hope, verse 5, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. The hope. See, this is all part of the faith package. It starts with Yeshua, you're transformed into saints, and you have a future inheritance that lets you know that, as Paul said, if in this life we only have hope, we are of all men most miserable. But Paul's telling these Colossians, listen, no. You are in this new person, Yeshua. You have this new standing, your saints. This world, when we get to it, is filled with fighting and darkness and, and, and it's, it's it, this, this uh, arena that you've entered into. But this isn't the it, end of it. There's more. There's this inheritance. I was talking with Paul about uh, his, his father passing on and how that part of the inheritance, we'll call it, was the giving out of some of his possessions. Um, you know, all of, you know, me, there was, I was involved in an inheritance when my, my mother died and, or when my grandparents died and when my cousin Arlene died. You, you inherit these things that you, you didn't have. They were somebody else's but they were gifted to you and now they become your possession. They're yours. Well, this, this kingdom, this new realm in which we're going to be going to, this hope that we have, it's in heaven. And, and I don't know about you, and this is where I'm glad I live down south because the, the southerners, at least when we were down there where we lived, you know, heaven was everything. You know, and, and one of the girls that I taught, uh, uh, who was a senior, Years later, after she was married and ended up getting cervical cancer and died, I think, in his, her 30s. It was just a few years back, uh, maybe early 40s. Uh, the, the father, Paul, was there, who was the assistant pastor for a period of time at the church. He's with her, and, and one of the people that I'm still in contact with uh, with the church was telling me how, you know, Brother Paul was there, and, and he was with, with Teresa, and, and he was saying, and i got to not cry about this, but he said, it's okay, Teresa. Pretty soon you're gonna be with you're gonna be with mom. You know, that that hope, that hope, that's what sees us through this mess. And and most of us, well, maybe not Paul, but we, we our family and a lot of Christians they, they've grown up with mom and dad are in heaven. Well, my mom and dad, as far as I know, aren't in heaven, and my grandparents are in heaven. But to have the hope that my immediate family members, Lord willing, will be in heaven. And, and I have a brother who died uh, through a miscarriage in heaven. And other family members, this is hope. 
And I, I look forward to it. I just, and especially as you get older and you, you, your eyes start to peel away from down here. And, you know, the body starts failing a little bit and life moves on and you're starting to feel like, you, you're starting to feel like you're, you did as a kid looking at your parents. Oh, man, they're old and they're out of date. Man, they don't know anything. And, you know, and I'm starting to feel like the parents, like my mom, she's I don't need, what do I need a computer for? I don't want a computer. I don't need a computer. Let me hold on a computer. You know, we're turning into those people the older you get, you know. And, but we have a hope. And um, that's all because of faith. So then Paul gives some examples uh, of saving faith in this. We won't look at them all, I'll just tell you. Paul, first off, he's an example of saving faith on the Damascus Road. He refers to Timothy. Paul refers to Epaphras. And then he closes the book in chapter 4 with several people that are in this honorary mention of those who have experienced saving faith. So that's faith. Now the second part is family. It's interesting, I just saw this this morning. This part I want to give you right now, you don't have to turn to it because uh, I was finishing uh, up when I was reading. But it talks about, so it's family. So it talks about in, in 415, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea in Nymphus in a church which is in his house. And I thought that was interesting because we have family terminology in this book and they were meeting, uh, uh, they were having a, a, a congregation in a house. So it has this family scenario with it. When, when, when I got saved and went off to Bible college and then met Judy and then uh, spent that first Christmas with them at the cabin, uh, before we were married, I was what, a sophomore and she was a freshman. And I, we weren't engaged yet, but I experienced their family. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. I've mentioned this several times. It was that impactful. It, it lives with me daily almost. To experience family life and her family from a Christian perspective versus growing up in my family, which never went to church, never touched the Bible, uh, parents that never went to church, grandparents that never went to church, uh, you know, to have her family, to see the difference. And in the family that, uh, the, the fellow that was responsible for my salvation, Omar Adams, the Adams family, and being a part of their family. I'd go over there to their house. I didn't want to go back home to my house of darkness. I went to their house, light. Peace, no yelling. It was wonderful. Go back to my home. It's like darkness beyond dark yelling and it's horrible and it's the antithesis of what happened to me. And it was a constant reminder of that's not my family anymore. Although it is by blood, but it's not my family of faith. So when you were saved, we're, we're brought into this family environment. And so just a few things, we won't belabor it. We have a father, we have brothers, and we have a big brother. So we have a father in this family. Uh, verse 2, to the saints and faithful brethren which are in Christ Jesus, uh, 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 brethren in Christ which are a classic grace be unto you and peace from God the Father. It's also in verse 3, uh, God the Father. It's in verse 12, uh, giving thanks unto the Father. In chapter 2, verse 2, talks about the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. And it's also in chapter 3, 
verse 17, where he also references Father, uh, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. One of the things that has been wonderful for me, being saved and entering into the family of God, is to have a heavenly Father. And I've mentioned this a million times, it's taken me forever to be able to call Him my Abba Father. It took me forever to be able to call Him Father. I always called Him God because my dad was a good dad. He did a lot of the good dad things, but he wasn't for me personally a father as I, as I would have liked to have had it. We had no father-son relationship. You know, we did nothing together. We hardly talked. Um, it was a, an estranged relationship. So then I get saved. I enter into a new family. I experience the Adams family with the father of that household. And Judy's dad, the head of that household, none of which are perfect, but contrasted to what I knew as a father and grandfathers, no matter how badly Omar Adams or Judy's dad could have failed, it was wonderful. And so that was the beginning of understanding the role of a father. And I owe a lot to Judy's dad about being a father, though he was, you know, Bemis and my dad was my dad. And, they weren't perfect and had plenty of flaws. For me, the example they had was like a big, that big flashlight I got you, Judy, for Christmas. It was like, <laughs> and so I have a heavenly father, huh? No, many years ago in Arizona. But we have a father. And Paul highlights that for these Colossians to let them know they are in a family of faith and it's headed up by a father. We also have brothers. Chapter 1, verse 2. To the saints and faithful brethren. Uh, one, uh, verse 1 also. Timothy, our brother. Verse 2. Uh, faithful brethren. is also up in chapter 4. Three different times this family thing is mentioned. Uh, Tychicus, a beloved brother in verse 7. Verse 9. Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. Verse 15, uh, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea. So there's this idea that we have family. We have a father. We have siblings, brothers and sisters. This is, you know, for, again, for those of you who have grown up in a Christian family, my kids have grown up in a Christian family, in a Christian church, no big deal that you've always had this. I didn't. The Colossians didn't have it. This is new stuff to them. And it's fresh and alive and vibrant. And he's uh, capturing this and encouraging them for kingdom living. And then we have what I'm calling a big older brother, uh, which is Yeshua. For that, turn to Matthew 12 with with me, if you would, because I want you to see it in this light. So Matthew chapter 12, look at a few verses, but talking about this family that we have, its basis is in Christ. We have brothers and sisters, and he's our big brother, if I can say it that way. Matthew uh, 12, sorry, verse 46. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. This has always been, 
I don't, this is, this is powerful. I, I don't know. Then, 47, then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who's my mother? And who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. That's just wonderful stuff. You know, Yeshua, we're in his family. And his arm is stretched out saying, you guys, you here today that know me, you're my brethren, I'm your brother. We're linked together, we're family, we're family. Family, family always sticks together. <laughs> you know. All right, now that takes us to the third thing, and that's fruit. I get this... Uh, uh, from verse 6 where he says and I hope I got this right um, and became followers of us and the Lord Jesus have received the word much affliction would no where where is it it's, the fruit's not there oh where, when I'm, where, oh, I'm in Thessalonians no, no wonder though thank you Judy I stuck my paper in the wrong spot all right thank you thank you thank you yeah, verse 6 or whatever I just said. Uh, Which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit. It's also mentioned in verse 10 that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful. So this faith puts you into a, a family. You have a father. You have brothers. Yeshua is your older brother. Now we have to start living it, bearing fruit. You grow up. Horn's not that little kid that he was in, in Arizona. Now he's growing up and he's bearing fruit. He's growing, he's stretching, his body's producing things. He's going through bodily changes. Pretty soon he's going to grow up, maybe, you know, get some schooling somewhere, get married and have kids. So he was born into a family. He has a father and a mother, brothers and sisters. He's growing to the point where he can go out and also bear fruit as a father and a mother with another family. It's, it's a beautiful process. Well, that's what's happened to us. We were born into a family. We were saved. We were born into a family. We're family, but we have to produce fruit. So um, fruit is produced from a seed. And so I get this idea of the seed being planted to bring forth fruit from the idea of fruit. So a couple things, and my mind always goes back to the farm. Seed has to be planted, and then the seed will produce. So we're fruitful. So the seed has to, at some point, be planted if there's going to be ever fruit. And so we see that in verse 5 where it says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. That's Epaphras. He's the one that planted the seed. He's the one that watered the seed, however you want to put it. But he's the one that brought this forth. My, my study Bible has a, a, a good note on Epaphras. It says, Epaphras evangelized the Colossians with the gospel and planted the church in their city. In describing Epaphras here in such glowing terms as our dear fellow servant, 
and for you a faithful minister of Christ. Paul puts his apostolic stamp of approval on this saint's life, ministry, and gospel. So Epaphras is the one that evangelized the Colossians with the gospel and planted the church. So it starts, the seed has to be planted. Somebody has to do it. Paul says, some plant, some water, God brings increase. So there's a process. But somewhere along the lines, the seed is, is laid out there, and then God may use that person or use others to come along and sprinkle some Holy Spirit working uh, 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 verses and ministry stuff on that. And finally, it, it starts to grow. Well, Epaphras was that guy. So the seed has to be planted, and that's our responsibility. And that's one of the first assignments we have when, when we get saved by grace through faith and enter into this family. It's to plant some seed. It's to be a witness. Yeshua said, you know, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We have the great commission where we're supposed to go out with his message and proclaim him. Paul's whole life was about going to proclaim the gospel primarily to the Gentiles. That's it. We're supposed to somehow bear witness and be part of that fruit process. And so then the seed will produce. And, and I think it's interesting, at least as I put it together. So the, the seed will produce. I'll, I'll tell you what, what I put. It's a supernatural work, the seed, this, this producing. It's a supernatural work. It's watered by prayer and it develops into maturity. All right, so first off, this whole thing's supernatural. That's why you can't convince people. I used to go to Clemson University and, and ended up witnessing to pretty intelligent people. I mean, that were way beyond me, of course. <laughs> it didn't take much to get way beyond me. But, you know, taking uh, 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 courses and, and getting their degrees and this one particular fella, very intellectual, and I spent hours talking with him. He was unsaved. I, he wanted me to get him a Bible. I, I actually got him a Schofield Bible, gave it to him to read. Uh, and I, I, I gave him all the information that I could about being saved. And I thought, for sure, with everything I've done, this guy's going to see the light and come to Jesus. Unless God does a supernatural working, it's just not going to happen. And that's borne out in this word, spirit, in verse 8, who also declared unto us your love in the spirit. The Holy Spirit has to do a work. We, we have the parable of the seed being sown. It's scattered in four types of ground. Unless, it, it, unless the Holy Spirit does something, Satan's going to snatch it away. It'll look like it's growing. It's going to be producing fake stuff. And just only that which has been touched by the living Spirit of God can bring forth true fruit. Then it's watered by prayer. For this cause, verse 9, for this cause also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you. So the seed produces. It's a supernatural work by the Spirit, but it has to be watered, nurtured through prayer. We all fall down in this one, praying, praying for unsaved. I've, I've gotten, shame on me, jaded. It's like, God, I've been praying for 40 years. A lot of these people in my family that I prayed against, they died. What good is it doing? I hate to be so blunt, but 
I know it's, it's not, that's not how it is. What I'm saying is easy to fall down. I think that's why prayer, Paul says, let us not grow weary in well-doing for in due season. We will reap if we faint not. And part of that process is still praying for people to get saved. I used to labor under, it's my fault. I'm guilty if they don't get saved. I didn't pray hard enough. I didn't witness hard enough. I, I didn't do something well enough for them to see. And, and the blood's on my hand. That's how it was always preached at us. Well, okay, maybe, yes. But ultimately, it's in God's hands. And the truth of the matter is, those people we're praying for to get saved, it's already been done from eternity past anyway. This has this all been, this is coming on in the mind of God. We're living it in real time. Try to figure that out. I don't know. But if it's done by the Spirit and it's watered by prayer, it will develop to maturity. That's verses 9b through 13. It says, and we won't go through all that, but verse 10. It will be that you might walk worthy unto the Lord, unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. That's the development that takes place place fruitful in every good work it it implies work you're going to be involved in the work and it's fruitful in every good work so there's more than just a work there's every good work and that's where the fruit will come and then in in verse 10 the second part it says um that you might 10 that you might walk worthy unto the lord unto all please and be fruitful in every good work and Increasing in the knowledge of God. That's the development of maturity. Involved in producing fruit and good works and personally increasing in the knowledge of God. Growth, personal growth in this walk that we have with our Father. We're growing, we're developing. And you have to ask yourself, are you changing? Are you growing? How are you becoming more? And we'll get to a little bit... Like, like the image of Yeshua. Are you growing? Do you monitor yourself? Do you examine yourselves? Do you come to the Word of God and say, what's changing? Am I going backwards, forwards? I'm stagnant? What the heck's going on? Well, true saving faith that plants somebody into a family produces fruit, and that fruit is going out there and being involved in a lot of good things, but it also is internal. It's not just external, it's internal. And we have to be honest with ourselves before God to find out where we are. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't say, let us not grow weary and well-doing for inducements in which you reap if we faint not. Because there's the potential, the possibility. Through the long haul, we lose the wonder. We lose the excitement. You know, the new car smell is gone. It's actually starting to break down. And, and the freshness of our faith, or when we enter into the ministry, or, or whatever we do for God, there's that initial euphoria, but then reality sets in. And then you just kind of exist in life. You don't see unsaved people as walking dead people, dead in trespasses and sins. We, don't, we lose that sight. We lose that vision. 
We become jaded. We, we start to wonder, okay, I've read all this great stuff. We're like, who, who is Gideon? Well, we've heard all the great stories, God. Where the heck are you? Right? We get there. So for this seed to produce, it needs two important additives, what I'm calling fertilizer on top of that. And that's that idea of wisdom and spiritual understanding. My study Bible had a great note on this because how do you define wisdom? How do you define understanding? You know, succinctly. And, and I've read everybody and everything about it, tried to memorize it, come up with my own. This I thought was really good. This is good. Get this. Wisdom is an accurate perception into the true nature of things. An accurate perception into the true nature of things. The beginning of wisdom is God, right? It's God. So if we're going to have what they just said, an accurate perception into the true nature of things, we have to get it from God and his word. That's the only place. And then understanding. Understanding is the skillful application of this wisdom in practical situations. So for the seed to do its thing, we need to have an accurate perception into the true nature of things, what God says about things, not what the world says, not what society says, not what false religion says, not what the president says. We have to find out what the accurate perception of the true nature of things is. That's part of the fertilizer, the additive. And then with that, the spiritual, uh, the understanding uh, Understanding the skillful application of this wisdom in practical situations. So anyway, that, I, I just think that's awesome. The fruit has to be planted. Or, sorry, the seed has to be planted, just like Epaphras did. The seed will produce, but it, has, it can only produce through the work of the Holy Spirit, being watered by prayer. And when that's happening, it develops into maturity. And, and the, the two additives that need to be applied into all of this is Figuring out what's the truth and now what do I do with it? Figuring out what God says and then living it out. All right, and then that brings us to the last thing. And that's a fight. We don't want the fight. And I think this is where our problem is in Christianity and the Messianic movement. We, we, we reach the, we're, we, we do the faith, the family, the fruit. And we want to just enjoy all that. We want the wonderful worship things. We want to do our cruises. We, we, we want to have our you know, $3 million church complexes that we keep building and building and new, new buildings and new facilities and upgrading the bathrooms and you know, just making it user-friendly to where I did my blog or I preached on where pretty soon we're going to have those big theater seats in the auditoriums where they lean back, vibrate, heat, place for your coffee. You, you can push the button and have the deacons or somebody outside. And you can place your order. You, they'll bring it to you while you're there. Stick your card in and pay for it. Sit back and enjoy the show. That's where we are. We want that. We don't want the fight. And we're working awfully hard to stay out of the fight and cloistering ourselves among ourselves. And I'm sick of it. We are pablum feeding all of us over and over again. 
And we're not equipping them for the fight. Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. Not cruise the good cruise. And, and I get it. We all recoil from the fight. I don't want to fight. But we're in one whether we like it or not. Paul told the Ephesians that. He told the Colossians that. And the two books are pretty parallel in so many ways. Now, what do I mean by a fight? There are two kingdoms and two images. Two kingdoms and two images. The two kingdoms. Verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. That's one kingdom. The other kingdom is the next verse. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So we've been taken from the kingdom of darkness. The power of darkness is also mentioned in Luke 22 uh, verse 53, and we won't go there, but the same thing, the power of dark. Oh, where Yeshua says, this is your hour in the power of darkness. The power of darkness. There is a power in these dark forces that is real and tangible. And we're just too stupid to realize that. And this power has enslaved those lost people and is giving them all their desires so they are not going to want what we have, which is pathetically... Wimpy when they look at us. So those are the two kingdoms. One is light, one's darkness. And again, I hate to keep saying it this way, but these Colossians, they know firsthand because they were in darkness. This is like first generation stuff. Not those that grew up in a Christian family that pretty much lived in a, a, an atmosphere of light. And we have to want to... Oh, he sees darkness. He, he's, he's in it with the world that he's in. We, we have to somehow be involved and get out there and, and see the ramifications of this darkness and feel it and hear it. To be impacted by it. I mean, that's why... While I was in the ministry, part of the reason I took a job was we, we could use the extra money, the part-time job, but I needed to get out there. And when I started working at HP, one of the driving factors was, was like, I can't, I can't just be wrapped up in this little world of my office and in congregation and my f church and my family. I mean, I, you know, and, and the, ca evident, the uh, eventual witnessing that I might do, I wanted to be out in the midst to feel it, to sense it again. To, to, be, to get a passion, to be burdened, to be broken for this stuff. Then there's two images. There's the Christ-like image and then the image of Antichrist, which I found very interesting. I never saw this until this message, and it only happened because I was looking up the Greek word image. And then it, it took me to all these references in Revelation in relation to the image of the beast. So there's two kingdoms, one light, one dark. There's two images, the image of, of Christ, uh, Yeshua, and then there's the image of the beast. Two images. I think it's so interesting. Opposite polars, but yet basically in their own way the same thing. Light and dark kingdoms, 
the image of Yeshua and the image of the beast that is going to come at the end and be so persuasive he'll draw countless people after him. So the, the Christ-like aspect, and I want to just look at this quickly. So we got chapter 1, verse 15 of Colossians, where it says, For by him, i got to make sure, oh, wrong verse. Uh, who, verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Then chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. This is this concept of an image, a reflection of something else. And we are supposed to reflect his image. Turn to 2 Corinthians, if you would, chapter 3. And let's see what, 318, 2 Corinthians 318. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. Chapter four, verse four. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan is working to dull the image, that external representation of that which we are to represent to this world. He's doing all he can in us to dull the, the, the reflection of the image of Yeshua that's supposed to be shining through us as we let our light shine in such a way that they'll see our good works. Satan is working on us to dim that image, to mar that image. And then Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. So that's the one image that, that God wants to portray out to this lost world. It's his son, and he does it through us. But at the end, and as we're getting closer to the end, and I think we can see this, we can sense a darkness. I don't know if anybody read my blog, but uh, uh, America's loss of wisdom and, and how, anyway, I won't rehearse the whole thing, but there's a darkness that is descending. And so as we get towards the end, I think we're beginning to see the ascendancy of this other image that will one day be manifest to the world and will draw the world to the beast, Satan, and still rebel and reject and even fight against Yeshua. So let's turn to um, Revelation. So Revelation 13 is our first one. And this is where we'll end. Revelation 13, verses 13 through 15. And, and, I, and I'm not going to bring it all in. Well, let's start 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. 13, 12. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first be beast, 
whose deadly wound was healed. And he doth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And, uh, I hope I'm in the right spot here. Okay, 14. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as should not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Incredible. Chapter 14, verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worshiped the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink. Uh, skip the page here. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Chapter 15, verse 2. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on a sea of glass, having the harps of God. Chapter 16, verse 2. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. See, now, it's, it's, this is what it's all being drawn to. Worship. It's a replacement of worshiping Yeshua, the image of the invisible God that we are the image of, to now this image is going to bring these people, these followers, to the point where they worship Him. All right, two more. Chapter 19, in verse 20. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And then chapter 20, verse 4. And I saw the thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Yeshua and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. I'm telling you, I think, we're, I think this generation is being lulled to sleep because there is a battle coming forward. It's going to cost people's lives. It's about two kingdoms, light and dark, two images, Yeshua and the Antichrist. And we, I don't know, do you ask yourself, maybe it's just me, and, and perhaps it is, but we're, I just feel like I'm kind of, Dull. <laughs> Sip it. I'm probably Laodicea. La uh, lukewarm. You know? <sighs> the fire, the passion, the burden to see lost people saved, to pray for lost people, to, to examine ourselves, to, to see what kind of reflection of the image we really are. Have we stopped at the pre-fight stage 
And if so, we are deficient because we are in a war. We are supposed to wrestle against flesh and not against flesh and blood, but against all this stuff. It's a fight. And that's all involved in kingdom living. So with this, our belief and the assurance of the truth of the gospel is that which will sustain us in our quest to live the kingdom life here and now. And this idea of the truth, Paul hammers out for us in, in chapter one. He brings it to the forefront when he says, for the hope which is laid up before you, where have you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit. This, this, this thing of the truth of the gospel. That's what will sustain us. Those, uh, what's it, those uh, will be saved. In, those that endure to the end shall be saved. It's not talking about losing your salvation or not. It's saying those that are genuinely saved will endure. And what's going to help us to endure? Our assurance of, how did I say it? Our belief in and our own assurance of the truth of the gospel. That's what's going to sustain us. What do I mean by that? That you actually know you are saved, that you've been born again, that you have been taken from the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of God's dear son, taken from darkness to light. And this change is going on in you. That's not something you do. It's supernatural. It's the Holy Spirit, and it's starting to change you, and you're producing and all of a sudden, that image you were before, well, oh, wait a minute, I'm taking more on the characteristics of my Savior, the fruit of the Spirit, or not. So, that's kingdom living now. When Yeshua comes back, even when he has his kingdom, at the end of the third, uh, thousand year reign, there's going to be another battle. There's just always a battle, folks. So we, we can keep searching for the peaceful life. Yeshua said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Well, we like the peace. It's that sword part. I've come to sit at variance. Mother, father, brother, sister, sons. You lose lands. If you follow me, it's a cross. Paul, die daily. I'm crucified with Christ. It's, it's not, I, I, you know, I, I've been telling Judy, and, and this is going to sound weird, but reading Paul as much as I have and just reading it, reading it, reading it, like going through Romans the many times I did, Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, over and over, then Galatians and Ephesians, uh, Philippians, and now Colossians. You, 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 you can, I see things now that I've not seen before. They've been there, but I'm seeing things now that I'm trying to communicate through these messages that I don't think I'm able to communicate in such a way that it's changing anybody, and I can't do that. Maybe change is being affected, and I don't know it. But the stuff that Paul shares with these 
early new faith believers is where we have to go back and we need to park ourselves in that. And, and I do think part of Satan's ploy has been for the Messianic movement to just go park us back in the Old Testament. Nothing wrong with that. To the exclusion of an emphasis on what we call the New Testament, which I believe is the training manual for us Gentiles that have come into something we don't know about to get our footing established and then be able to wrap our heads around our heritage, which is what is in the back. Now, I'm not saying start in the New Testament. Yes, we need to know what Genesis is and read all that. But God knew we were going to be out in the diaspora. He raised up Paul and others to help these new believers that didn't have a clue about anything, their heritage or anything, to excite them to get into the synagogues to hear Moses preached every Sabbath and to learn, to learn. But it's the foothold that enables them to be excited about their new faith, to see what it's all about, to realize they're in a family with a mission and get grounded in that. And I also believe Satan has used the church to muddy the waters in this law, grace thing. And the prism of our, our view of what, is, what we're supposed to see in the Word has been skewed by this particular issue. Because Paul talks about the, the, the promise, the, the mystery. And you know what it is? That the Gentiles are going to hear the truth of the gospel be saved and become part of the family of God. Not Jesus did away with the law and there's this new mystery, the New Testament, this whole new thing. And because of that, I think we're dulled and we're having a hard time cranking the energy of an excited faith that is alive and vibrant. And for me, reading the writings of Paul to the, these early believers has changed me, impacted me. And I just want that to happen for all of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Um, I thank you for the fact that we who are saved are a part of your kingdom come, but we have to carry out your will now on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what this is all about. It starts with our faith. We're put into a family. We produce fruit but we have to get to the fight. We have to fight with ourselves. We have to fight against the wiles of Satan. We have to enter into the fray because it's a battle. We have to engage the dark forces out there and there will be resistance, pushback. We will not be liked, we will be hated. But those that live godly in Christ Jesus are supposed to and shall suffer persecution. <sighs> so, if nothing else, as I said to you the other day, Father, if nothing else, I'm blessed to be in your word and to prepare these messages because I, 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 I you know, you work it all in me. And, I, and I'm 
I'm so grateful for the exercise of making these messages and reading and reading and reading your word and the benefit for me. And I just, I just ache with the, with the hunger and desire to just be able to, I don't know, make a difference here and out in the lost world. So just work in our hearts in Yeshua's name. Amen.